Hey, this is John Stevens, pastor of Chapelwood, and this is our weekly sermon podcast. I hope it will impact your heart and your life and help you grow closer to God. Check us out online at chapelwood.org. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, um, please stand for the reading of God's word. Today's passage comes from the book of Joel, chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. You may follow along with me by turning to page 848 in the Old Testament of your pew Bible. Then afterward I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female slaves in those days, I will pour out my spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Hey, my name is Joseph Clam. I'm one of the pastors here at Chapwood United Methodist Church. Welcome to our online worship. We are so glad that you're here. I want to encourage you to take a visit to chapwood.org home to find out more information about how you can get connected here at Chapwood. Also, I want to encourage you to register your attendance. And if you'd like to pray with someone, there's a link to do so. You may be remote, but just know that you are seen, you are known, and you are loved. Welcome to Chapwood. God bless. Amen. You may be seated. It's good to see everybody this morning. You know, um, we don't really sit down every week and line this. I mean, it's, the songs align. They know what we're preaching. They know what the themes are. It's just kind of interesting how God works. It's not by strength. It's not by might. It's not by power. This is not our fight. This is going to be a lot of what you're going to hear coming out of the prophet Joel and uh, the message of inspiration for us this morning. Let me just start by uh, this is not something I probably have to tell you, but in the last, I would say, three to five years, there have been a lot of research studies done, whether it's Barna or Pew or you fill in the blank for any religion survey or, or societal survey that you probably follow or hear or read about in the news. Anxiety is higher among all sectors of society than it seems like it's ever been. And it's not that anxiety has never existed before. <laughs> I, you know, it's kind of like we think that things are worse now uh, because we have this sort of uh, revisionist way of thinking about our past. The past is always greater. It's like my grandmother used to always say before she passed away, I wish I could go back to the good old days. And I would say, Meemaw, they didn't have air conditioning when you were growing up in the good old days. She goes, well, I'm taking my air conditioning, but I'm going back... Because it was always better. But she lived a hard life. She grew up through the Depression. She knew what difficulty was. But we have a tendency now to think about it. We think about what's right in front of us. And what you find in a lot of these surveys and polling situations is that one of the reasons why people's anxiety is higher now is that the perception is, and I think it's true, is that it's crisis after crisis after crisis after crisis after crisis. And it's, not, it's, it's almost like you don't get an opportunity to like, Get your head above water to breathe for a little while. We always jokingly around say in our staff when we're meeting together, it's like, I'm just looking forward to a year with no drama. Like, I'm just looking forward. I hope this next year there's just like no drama. And, I, and then I think to myself, there's never been a year with no drama. We always have something that's in front of us. There's always some sort of a crisis or a difficulty 
And so when we look at all the things that have gone on, there's financial issues people deal with. You know, every time we turn on the TV, it seems like whether it's crime or shootings, there's wars that are happening all over the world. There's the pandemic that we've come out of and you hear, you know, news about all of that again. There's uh, cultural shifts, mental health concerns. We hear that, that our young people are struggling with mental health issues in greater levels than ever before and more are acknowledging this. It's over and over and over again. And one of the things they show up to in the surveys is it's not just the anxiety is high, mental health issues are high, the crisis after crisis after crisis, but one of the big things is people feel as if they've lost, what we use the term agency, they've lost control. That you have no way to control what's going on because the people who are in charge of, or at least the ones that we hope are in charge with addressing the issues that are out there, either can't make a difference or won't make a difference. And that frustrates us as well. You understand what I mean. Because we've all been there. We've all dealt with that. We all live in seasons of disruption. And it feels like the seasons of disruption are in front of us more often than ever before. And that's what makes this uh, short prophet of Joel, three chapters, interesting today and I think for all of us. Because it calls us to attend to the emergencies in front of us. It calls us to pay attention to the crises in front of us and think differently about how we intersect with those things. Joel is a, an interesting book. The crisis before Joel, we find in the very first couple of verses, uh, is a swarm of locusts. Now, you know, we don't, we don't really get what, how difficult that is nowadays for us. A swarm of locusts. But some scholars say that Joel's actually using uh, illustrative language, sort of like apocalyptic literature in the Bible, that you talk about dragons and and two-headed monsters and all these things, and they mean other things. Some scholars believe that what Joel's actually talking about in a safe space, in a safe way, is an invading army. But listen to the words he uses. He says, now when the locusts come through and they're gathered through and they're moving through, what the cutting locusts left, the swarming locusts has eaten. What the swarming locusts left, the hopping locusts has eaten. And what the hopping locusts left, the destroying locusts has eaten. And I think, okay, if he is using figurative language there, I try to think in my own life, okay, <laughs> what are the cutting things that came through and left stuff? Then it was the swarming things that came through and left stuff. Then it was the hopping things that came through and left. Then it was the destroying things. You ever felt like that? It's just like, like a snowball going down a hill. None of it in Houston knows what in the world that analogy means. But like a snowball and it gets bigger and bigger and it's bigger and it, that's what it feels like in our lives. So whether it's locusts, whether it's an invading army, what Joel is presenting here is that the people of God are confronted with a time of devastating crisis, a time of urgency, a time of trouble. This is what we seem to have in front of us on a regular basis, whether it's corporate, cultural, personal, family, work, relational. It seems like there's always something in front of us. And what Joel does and what all the prophets do 
is help us to reframe how we view crises in our lives. This is why this is connected to our childlike sermon series. The whole point of this childlike series is to help us to tap into these fundamentals of the faith so that when Jesus says, unless you become like a child, you really can't connect to or enter into or live fully in the kingdom of God according to the kingdom of God rule mentality, just the way to operate under God's reign where God is reigning over all things. And that's why Jesus said, you got to become like a child. And we've looked at what are those fundamentals? What are those qualities that we have to tap into? This is one. When the prophets come and point to these crises and the devastation, how are they calling us to respond to those things? And what we find over and over and over again, that rather than think about addressing the crisis or the problem in front of us with, as the song said, with power with might, with the battle, with force, the prophets call us to a spiritual renewal. They call us to look inward. They call us to ask the question, because of all this has happened in front of us, what shall we then do? What shall we do? And the invitation over and over and over comes that for us to, to engage in a moment of question and reflection. Crises are not, crises when they come in front of us, we have a tendency to say, we've got to solve the problem. My wife and I have learned this through the years. Sometimes she'll say to me, hey, can I talk to you about something? I was like, sure, go ahead. She goes, now, I just want you to listen. I don't want you to solve it. Have you ever had this in your relationship? Because I'm one of those that's like, well, let me tell you what, let me tell you, this is an easy solution here to do. She goes, I don't want you to solve the problem. I just want you to listen. And sometimes the way we are wired is that when something rises in front of us, we're going to solve the problem. Is the crisis in front of us? To solve the crisis. There's an issue in front of us, we're going to solve the issue. And what we realize is that we are limited into our ability to control as much as we think we can. We really are not in control. And so the prophet Joel calls for us to think differently about how it is we stand in front of the continuing rhythm of crises in our life. To reevaluate how are we doing. To adjust our lives according to the invitation of God. To shift and realign our priorities around those things that are transcendent and most important, not the things that are temporal and of this earth. And so the larger issue for Joel, we see this in all the prophets, is that this looming crisis, the pending invasion, the locust, the army, all of these things, the prophets, whether it's Amos or Isaiah or Joel, say this signals the coming day of the Lord. The coming day of the Lord. And what the Hebrews thought, and a lot of us think this too, is the Hebrews thought, well, when the coming day, when the day of the Lord comes, the Lord will then lead our army to overthrow the other army. When the day of the Lord comes, the Lord will give us the capacity to do away with all the locusts. When the day of the Lord comes, then the Lord will give us the strength to battle whatever it is in front of us, solve any problem. And this is not at all what the prophets mean by the day of the Lord coming. The day of the Lord is rooted in this understanding of relationship. It's not holy war. It's not temporal power. And the reason why it's not is because every time the prophets stand up to speak against the people of faith, what we find 
is that the Hebrews, the Israelites, are, woe is me, we're invaded by the locusts. Woe is me, we're invaded by the other army. And what we find is the reason that has happened is because the people of God have turned away from God. Joel even uses the language that God's the one leading the locusts. God's the one leading the other army. And it kind of makes you sound like, well, God's against us. And, and what we find in the Old Testament, in the New, and even in our own lives, it's not that God's against us, it's that we are against God. And we don't even realize it. The Israelites have this sort of roller coaster history. You know, when they're aligned with God, when they're focused with God, when God is their king, when they submit themselves and they remove themselves from idolatry. It's funny how everything seems to align. And God's on their side and everything goes good. And then when they turn away from God and they start to look to other idols and other powers and they want to trust in other kings and they want to trust in other rules, then all of a sudden God's against them. Wow, God, you're just so fickle. You're for us, you're against us. And God's like, no, 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 I haven't moved. I haven't changed. You're the one going back and forth with your loyalties. And it's the same thing we do. And so these crises, the devastation, all of these things before us, point us to this day of the Lord. This is how Joel is helping us to understand the crises in front of us, the adversity in front of us, the difficulties in front of us. It's how you look at these things and ask yourself this fundamental question. Not, is God against me? Have I turned away from God? Even though I'm holy, <laughs> even though I, I'm really trying to be faithful, even though I, I really am trying to do the right things, God, and follow your word, maybe there are some loyalties I need to look at that are not aligned with where God really wants me to be. It's hard for us to see ourselves, honestly. And so when you read the passage of Scripture in Joel, when you look through all of Joel, you find some interesting passages. This passage that we read today where... God says, after all of this, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Old men dream dreams. Young men see visions. Every male and female slave in those days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And we're like, well, that's what we want. <laughs> but he says, afterward. After what? After this move that the people of God are called to make, that you and I are called to make, to engage in this really raw moment of self-reflection. This is why Joel is the prophet we read at the beginning of the season of Lent. On Ash Wednesday, you may or may not remember this, we always read the prophet Joel chapter 2. Because while sometimes we're thinking that the people of Israel, the Hebrews are like, well, God's the day of the Lord's coming. God's going to be on our side. We're going to defeat our enemies. What Joel is saying is God is not concerned about the external things that you're concerned about. God's not concerned about defeating the locusts or defeating the other army. God is concerned about you and your heart and your spirit. And so when we read this passage, it says, blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm in my holy mountain. Even now, verse 12, 212, even now says the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, Rend your heart, not your garments. Change the interior of, of interior of your life, not the exterior. Return to the Lord your God, because God is gracious and merciful. 
God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God relents from punishing. So blow the trumpet, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the aged, gather the children, even infants at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride leave her canopy. We read that at the beginning of Lent when we start a season of looking inside of ourselves to find where are we, where have we turned away from God. Crises in life lead to anxiety because we see the crises as something either we can't control or we have to overcome or we have to defeat. But our history as people of faith has taught us that when the crises come, this is a moment for us to stop, sit, and rend open our hearts. Look deep inside of ourselves, our motivation, our loyalties, the idolatries that have come up. God is, is seeking for us a spiritual renewal. God is seeking a spiritual transformation, not a military victory or a political adjustment. It's never been the case. God is longing for more from us. So what does all of this mean today when we read the prophet Joel and the, the call for us, you know, Crisis becomes for us a moment of, I learned this in seminary, so it's a crisis moment, a crinon, the, the Greek word crinon. It is a moment of, of, of something happens, now you have a decision to make, right? A choice to make. So if you're having a party at your house and the front porch collapses, you can't do anything about that before the party that evening. That is a mess, right? You can't do anything about it. But what you can do is you can have a decision. You have a decision to make. Are we going to have everybody still come to my house, even though the front porch is collapsed? And if so, do we need to tell them to come around through the back door? Or do we need to move this to Aunt Mary's house because her porch hasn't collapsed? And let everybody know that. You have a decision to make in the midst of the crisis. This is what we're called to do. To examine, to repent, to shift the interior orientation of our hearts. Every crisis, every moment of difficulty is a moment for us to stop and look and turn inward. And this is why Joel and all of the Hebrew prophets, they are secondarily concerned with your external actions. Like what you do like out in the world is not their biggest concern. They are primarily concerned with the interior and spiritual dimension of the persons. I mean, look at King David. King David messed up a bunch, but God chose him. He was his, why? Because he had, uh, he had created him in a clean heart and David had a heart after God. He had a heart that longed for God, the interior of our heart. Jesus says, it's not what you put into the body that makes you unclean in Mark 7. He said, it's what comes out of your heart. That's who you know you are. That's where you see. I always loved when, when these celebrities or these athletes, they do like bad things and then they come on with their, like, I'm sorry if, if you were bothered by what I did. That's their apology. I'm sorry if you were bothered. Uh, and then they say, that's not who I am. You ever heard that before? That's not, that's not who I am. I'm like, that's who you are. You did that. I mean, that's who you are. What comes out of the heart of a person is who they are. Now, it may not be who they want to be, <laughs> but it's who they are. And this is true for all of us. True for all of us. This is why in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, Peter quotes this passage of Scripture. 
about, about the Spirit of God afterward, after repentance, after the day of the Lord, when you turn to reflect inward and you are aligned with God again, when you are connected with God again, when you love the Lord and love your neighbor as yourself, when all of these gospel orientations begin to guide you, when the kingdom of God, the rules of the kingdom of God guide you and not the rules of the world and temporal society guide you then afterward i will pour out my spirit on all flesh sons daughters prophesy old men dream dreams young men see visions male female all of those i will pour out my spirit on all people that's what we want that's what we all want and so i've been thinking about this in in terms of like john wesley in this new room you know, John Wesley went to Bristol in 1739 at the invitation of, uh, of George Whitfield, and he went out and he preached in the fields to the miners because they weren't going to church. They were working seven days a week. Children were working. There wasn't good education system for children. There were no child labor laws like you have today. And so the people lived in a very difficult situation, and John Wesley went out into the fields to preach to them. And when he saw the needs, just like it says in the scripture, when Jesus saw them like sheep without a shepherd, he had compassion for them. And so what he did is he started the new room there in Bristol and he turned it into a school and he turned it into a welfare clinic, a health clinic, and he turned it into a library. And yes, he turned it into a church with class meetings. But what he knew was, I have to change the whole of society here. This is why we Methodists are who we are. This is why we do what we do. Our identity is about making a difference in the world. And so when we think about who we are at Chapelwood and all of the, the things that we, we struggle with in society, what we're about are the words, the ministry, the teaching, the way of Jesus. We're about focusing on the gospel. We're about attending to the interior of the heart. We are not about external affirmation of, of some generic belief from hearts that are untransformed. We are not about accepting, you know, the ticket of Christianity as if it's some uh, ticket to, that admits you to certain aspects of worldly society. It's not a gospel that comes through the proxy of a nation or a ruler or even a religious structure. And it's not a gospel of pretend Christianity defined by external conformity. But rather, what is in the heart of a person? What is the intent of desire of your heart? This is the way of Jesus. This is what Joel has preached, Amos preaches, Isaiah preaches. The prophets call the people of God to. And when Jesus comes, it's exactly what he calls all of us to. And when we can figure that way out, we'll change the way we intersect with life. It'll change the way we deal with crisis after crisis after crisis. Because I'm going to let you in on a little secret. And it's not, it's, this, is not, this is the good news of the message. But what I'm going to tell you right now is good. Guess what? There will be another crisis soon. Either in your life personally or corporately or nationally or whatever. There will be another crisis soon. It will come. How will we respond? New birth for us is love the Lord your God your neighbor is yourself. Forgive 70 times. How many times should I have to forgive those who wrong me? 70 times 7. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Do good to those who do evil to you. 
Renew your mind. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Change your mind to align with the kingdom of God. We are to be peacemakers in the world. We are to reach the lost, the least, the marginalized. These are the principles of what the prophet calls us to. These are the principles of what Jesus calls us to. And it is changing the way that I think about the crises in front of me, the adversity in front of me. Because I'll be honest with you, like you, I've been going through a season of life in the last few years where it's just crisis after crisis after crisis after crisis. And I'm trying to like whack-a-mole, right? Thinking that I can be smart enough or I can be big enough or I can handle this or I can handle this using whatever resources are out there. You've probably been through this as well. And I'm beginning to learn now all these things. Yes, we are work for the good of all people and love of all people. We are to do the best we can to contribute. But honestly, when these things start popping up, it's a call for me to look inward. And to say, how are you doing in your soul? Life will do this to you. I just got word from a friend this week. She's in her early 40s. She has uh, early mid-40s. She's, got, um, she's married and has a 13-year-old and a 9-year-old uh, kids. And she had years ago breast cancer, and she fought it, and she won. Rang the bell. She was clean. Started having some issues not long ago and went back, and the cancer had spread into her brain or spine or liver. And doctors sent her home this week and said, there's nothing else we can do for you. And so she's come home with hospice care. And they don't expect her to make it to October. But in just watching her and seeing her and communicating, you see and sense that th this could lead us to moments of despair or hopelessness, and it hasn't done that at all. Not only has it caused her to look at who she is, it's leading her husband, her children, all of her friends, all of her network around him to stop and to look inward. Because this is the day of the Lord that has come in their midst. And there's nothing they can do to defeat the crisis in front of them. But what you're seeing is that all of them are engaging in a moment of realignment. And it's changing their lives. And I wish, like you, that it wasn't those sorts of things that had to happen to kind of to get us in alignment. And so whatever it is you face, whatever adversity, whatever difficulty, whatever disagreement, whatever crisis, take that as an opportunity to hear the prophet again say, rend your heart, not your garment. Focus on the interior, not, not the temporal things of the world. And for us it would be focus on the way the words, the ministry, the teaching, Jesus can transform not only us as we live in a very difficult world, but can make a difference as a witness to everyone that we meet. Let's pray. Gracious God, as we, as we look to you, we know there are many things around us that are happening that are very difficult that we struggle with. Some of us are in some very difficult situations right now. Others of us are in one of the good seasons, but we know that it will only be a matter of time before some crisis confronts us again. Lord, I hope and pray that we will see 
crises in front of us differently. I hope that it will remind us of the prophets of the Old Testament and even the words of Jesus that call us to re-examine our own hearts and to do the, the difficult but the transforming work of aligning the interior of our lives with you so that out of our hearts come love, forgiveness, peace. That makes all the difference in the world to everyone we meet. In the name of Christ we pray.